Okay, so I'm gonna start today with a few different statistics. According to the National Center of Education Statistics, there are 3.2 million teachers in public schools in 2019. Now pivoting to another story, 99% of the elementary school teachers and 96% of the secondary school teachers, according to this RAND study, draw upon, quote, materials I developed and or selected myself in teaching ELA or English language arts. So my big question or wondering is, what is it that these 3.2 million teachers are teaching nationwide? So greetings and salutations, my friends. Welcome to Extra Help with Inside Schools, season two, episode two. My name is Tanisha Williams, and today I have a wondering around the materials that are being used in class. Extra Help was specifically created to serve parents in NYC, an extension of Inside Schools. This podcast is our ongoing conversation with parents, whether we tackle major headlines in the news, share specific resources to get you through the week, or answer your questions as they surface from trending media platforms. Most importantly, this space will provide a bit of banter about most things education in New York City. Today, we are joined by Tom Liam Lynch. We are always excited when we get to have conversations with Tom. So Tom, I want us to jump into to this curriculum conversation, but I'm going to start us with a definition from the Glossary of Education Reform. It reads that the term curriculum refers to the lessons and academic content taught in a school or in a specific course or program. In dictionaries, curriculum is often defined as the courses offered by a school, but it is rarely used in such a general sense in schools. Depending on how broadly educators define or employ the term, curriculum typically refers to the knowledge and skills students are expected to learn, which includes the learning standards or objectives and the units and lessons that teachers teach and the assignments and projects given to students and the books and the materials and the videos and the presentations and the reading. I, am I making my point here? Um, but basically a host of other methods that are used to evaluate student learning. An individual teacher's curriculum, for example, would be specific to learning standards, lessons, assignments, and materials used to organize and teach a particular course. So Tom, I wanna pause and pivot to you because I, I just said a lot and I would love to hear your rundown of curriculum as per the experiences that you've had in education. Sure. Sure. Thanks, Tanisha. Hi, everyone. You know, there's, I guess it was this summer, which we'll talk more about, there was the announcement of the Mosaic curriculum in New York City schools, which got a lot of headlines at the time. I think it was in July, June, July, I think it was July. And so I think this, the question of curriculum, honestly, is like one of the most important and under-discussed kind of topics in education. I think that the trick with it is that it isn't the learning standard. It's not like the learning standards alone, and it isn't the assessments alone. And it, which I think your definition is trying to emphasize with the end, right? It's like, it's not that alone. It's not the assessments alone. It's not the materials or the textbooks alone, but for really for it to be curriculum, at least from in my experience working uh, and preparing teachers for many years um, and from being in schools, like to be curriculum, it, there, has to be a, there has to be a bigger driver of why we're learning what we're learning or why we're asking our children to learn what they're learning. If it doesn't get at the why, then it's missing the mark and it, it fails to actually be like the kind of curriculum that our children deserve. And the why cannot be because it's in the standards. I say this to teachers I used to work with and prepare all the time. Like when you're designing a unit for students, 
you imagine a student raising her or his hand in your class and saying like, why do I have to learn this? And your answer cannot be because it's on the test, because it's the standard, because you're going to need it for college. They might be realities, but those are not the acceptable, like high level curricular drivers. It has to get at the why. That's my, that's probably one of the, the, um, most important things I would take away from some of the curriculum conversations that are happening is like, if we're not talking about the why in a, in a very detailed, intentional way, then we're, you know, we're falling short. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. So I, I think you all, as always, give perfect segues for us to jump into the news. And just as a reminder, we like to jump into the news. We like to see what's happening here on this podcast. Then we'll talk a little bit about the questions that have surfaced from families. We'll, of course, leave folks with some resources and, and things to try. And then we'll close out with our, our gratitude. So just what you said, right, Tom, this summer, the news was abuzz with this, how do you say, federal stimulus money, $635 million to be exact, that will be deployed by NYC DOE in a few different ways. So the mayor and chancellor have dubbed this kind of initiative, the NYC Universal Academic Recovery Plan. And we know that it has six different parts. Those parts are to improve early literacy, to increase digital access, to touch upon college and career counseling, to bolster special education programs, to build a new universal curriculum, we'll come to that, and to expand emotional support. So there are four, I think around four different articles that I wanna pull from, all spanning from June and July. This first one that came out of New York Times was July 9th, and it was entitled Inside the Mayor's Plan to Help NYC Schools Recover. So here's what we learned from this. We learned that we're going to get about 175,000 additional digital devices. We learned that class size is going to be reduced. We learned that $251 million will be allocated to after school and Saturday programs for students who receive special education services. And we also learned that the district in and of itself will get about 500 additional social workers. So that's all good stuff, right? In another article entitled Universal Curriculum Coming to NYC Schools with a Focus on Diversity, we again heard this breakdown of the 500 literacy coaches. We understand that there will be 140 new teachers at 72 high needs elementary schools. We also, again, got that affirmation of the $251 million going towards special education and this overhaul cost of $202 million. But I think this is the first time we saw this date of the 2023 of the rollout of the curriculum. So again, I'm building on these facts, Tom, so that we can have a really great conversation. Another article that came out in July, Literacy Blitz and ways de Blasio plans to spend that $635 million to help New York City students catch up. This one actually gives a really concrete breakdown of all the money in all the six different parts. But the long and short is that we know we're gonna get some more devices. We know we're gonna get that social emotional help. We know we're gonna get some concrete resources for students with special needs. But we also heard that we are going to get a universal mosaic curriculum that will not completely be implemented until 2023. But for now, we're going to get some smattering of books. So Tom, here's where our discourse starts. The smattering of books with the universal curriculum and all these other things that are coming. 
in a time period, I think that extends beyond the um, tenure of our of our current mayor, to say the least, and perhaps even our current chancellor. So, Tom, let's jump in with some conversation. What are your thoughts? Tanisha, you know where I'm coming from on this one. Some of my concerns with this is just is, is as follows. Are millions of new books for schools valuable and good? Like, it's a good thing. 100%. That's great. Books alone are not a curriculum. We're saying we want money for special ed and for early literacy intervention and, you know, and for these other these other um, priorities we value. All that's great, but a, a universal curriculum isn't an is not an item on that list. It is the thing that drives everything on the list. And so my concern with the way some of this is rolling out is like it's vague, and it's really late in the game. Like I'm I'm one hundred percent supportive of the idea that like a culturally responsive curriculum should drive what goes on in New York City schools. And I think, I think schools need greater support in that. They shouldn't have to go and buy off the shelf products and like try to figure it out. I've, I taught, you know, hundreds of teachers, prepared hundreds of teachers for working in New York City schools. And like, you can't expect teachers to design their own stuff fresh in their first year, two, three, like designing curriculum is hard. Teaching is hard. And assessing is really hard. So you need the central offices to do some of this kind of work well um, on behalf of schools, but more importantly, with schools and with families and with children in mind as, and as partners in the process. While I appreciate like the attention that the idea of a universal curriculum or a citywide curriculum is getting, the de Blasio administration has dropped the ball on this because it's the kind of thing that should have been day one priority in the administration. If you really believe in the importance of a citywide curriculum, you don't introduce it at the 11th hour with all this fanfare when you have no control over whether or not it survives at 12.01 a.m. on January 1st or whatever the time is. You know what I'm saying? So that's my issue with this. It's politicized curriculum as a concrete deliverable that the administration can do a victory lap on when in reality, if you're doing it well, it should have been done at the beginning and it, and it should be done in a way that's transparent and is engaging communities in a larger than life campaign to create something that's meaningful as opposed to trying to like, you know, throw it in here at the end. So, so I feel like I for sure hear that, right? We, we certainly don't necessarily need a victory lap, but I, I feel like where I am, well, let me take a step back also and say, one thing that we know that the mayor has said is that the, these funds will be used specifically to address now the COVID achievement gap. So I appreciate this acknowledgement of some some learning losses that have definitely occurred given the pandemic and the way that school has unfolded in the last year and a half. So I will say that. I do think it's a ballsy move though, where it's like, I am going to stress the importance. I, I feel like we kind of saw some of that when Carranza transitioned out, right? Carranza made a, a bold move, right? And then he scooted out of the way. And, and Misha came in. So I, I don't know, maybe bold moves in New York is kind of what we do. But I will say um, we weren't able to have Natasha Capers on today. But the good news is that there are absolutely parent organizations who are tethering themselves to this specific policy and this specific initiative to ensure that it keeps going. But Tom, I, I would love to get your insight on that too. Do you think that although dropping this as a victory lap, there's still space for folks to say, here are the benefits that we've seen. Here is how we are not gonna let you allow this to go away. And I wanna contextualize that in some states where they're outright saying, here's what you can't teach. 
And here's what you can teach. And at the very least, New York is saying, all right, we may not be here to see you to the promised land, but we are absolutely going to put this in place before we go. So Tom, talk me through. What are your thoughts there? There's a few different parts to what you're saying. So, and, I, and we've got a comment in the chat from Debbie, which I think is spot on. Debbie's saying like, with principal autonomy, how can you even ensure that schools would adopt the curriculum? And I think 100%. And again, I think to Debbie's point too, a new mayor comes in with mayoral control in New York City, the mayor could decide that like principals have less autonomy than they're used to right now or more. And the mayor could decide that we need, you know, 300 executive superintendents overseeing everything, or they might decide that we don't. It's not 300, but it's an exaggeration. But the point being that like so much of the quality of the implementation here is like out of this current administration's hands that to launch something without explicitly like, for example, like how could this have looked otherwise? They could have said, we know that we have the two candidates for mayor are these two folks and we want to we want to make sure that regardless of who's elected, there's an understanding around the nature of the curriculum work that we're doing and that there's a commitment to seeing it through. That's all. It's like a, it's not even a press conference. Like it could be like a brief conversation. I do think the other thing that is just is maybe worth remembering is that when it comes to something like curricular reform in New York City, we are in a very unique and empowered position. Here's what I mean by that. Every other country in the world has a national education ministry that sets this exact kind of thing. They have a national curriculum, they have a ministry of education, and they tell schools what they're doing to a certain extent. And then there's, there's instructional freedom, though maybe less curricular freedom, but there's instructional freedom in the classes. Whether or not that's a good thing or bad thing, that's how most of the rest of the world works. The United States doesn't work that way. Every state is on its own, which means it's a total mess in terms of trying to compare what works one place, what works another. There's different standards and all that kind of thing. New York City is different. So New York City actually operates more like its own country, which with mayoral control, meaning even though we're in New York State, because the state gives New York City mayoral control, the mayor actually does have the authority to say we're going to have a citywide curriculum and we're going to design it not just in response to this crisis or this challenge, we can actually stay, take a step back and say, as an international city, we're going to design something that competes internationally. We're going to align with state standards and with UNESCO standards if we want to. We're going to create signature assignments that are in partnership with cultural organizations so that you know, every child will have an, a, either a face-to-face -face or a digital you know, kind of learning experience uh, at the Metropolitan Museum, at uh, the Brooklyn Library, at whatever it might be. But the point is that when it comes to citywide curriculum, New York City with mayoral control actually has a very unique opportunity to affect change at scale relatively quickly um, if they act like it. I think that that is an excellent point that pivots us to one of the questions that surfaced on Inside Schools from our families. Tom, because I, I actually do wanna come back to this because I wanna ask your opinion. So one of our parents, Jessica, asked specifically, how do schools choose their curriculum? And per a point you made, we know Debbie is in the chat saying, but schools aren't using all the literacy tools that have been provided for them. And Tom, you just said, but the mayor has a unique kind of ability to specify what happens. So concretely for you, Jessica, um, there are two kind of 
spaces that I want to elevate on the NYC DOE websites and platforms. And the first one is that we teach NYC. So what they specifically have written is New York City has a core curriculum program that aims to provide rigorous, high quality curricula and instructional materials to NYC students. The curricular materials have been identified by the NYC DOE because they are aligned to the Common Core Learning Standards and other New York State standards. And then when we pivot to those New York City instructional priorities, in that homecoming document, it says specifically, in this year of homecoming, we will transform our system through the integration of academic and social emotional learning and establish a new path to academic recovery and reimagining. The 2021-22 instructional principles for reopening set the annual expectations for how we will accomplish our goals by setting high expectations and rigorous instruction that begins with a welcoming and affirming environment and uses inclusive curricula and assessments, all supported by ongoing and targeted professional learning for educators. But the question still is, but how do schools choose their curricula? And if we go back to the top of the hour, we this RAM report lets us know that 96 or 98% of the teachers say, I, I use what I've come up with. So Tom, in this world, in this world that is New York City, where the mayor can concretely say, this is the curriculum that we are going to adopt, but we have landing pages on NYC DOE, where there's a litany from Wit and Wisdom to Houghton Mifflin, I can't even name all of the different kind of companies and publishers that are there. Let me go back to you, Jessica. Your concrete question was, how do schools choose their curriculum? I think the real answer is you got to ask. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right? I I think that's fair. And, you know, from lots of principals and teachers and folks I know in the city, a lot of it comes down to, you know, who, what's, what are teachers finding on their own off the shelf kinds of products? What are, what might be recommended by the superintendent or by other principals? It's also based on the data. So if they're looking at their test score data and they're, they're really struggling within a particular area, let's say, then there might be a particular, you know, resource, curricular resource that's out there that other principals have said it worked for their kids. It is uh, We Teach, which actually helped design and build when it originally launched. Um, we Teach is a phenomenal resource for teachers throughout the city, but it's the difference between looking in the sky at night and seeing stars versus seeing a constellation, right? So you can have all these, and I, I, I would I would argue whether or not they're actually curricula that, that exist in such abundance. There are some curricula resources that do exist in the city, but not as many. People call instructional resources curricula all the time, or you get a textbook that walks you through the entire year of math. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a deep instructional resource. That's not curriculum either. Remember, the curriculum has to be bigger than, than the thing. It has to be bigger than the, the, the star. It's got to be the constellation you're seeing. So when you talk about citywide curriculum, it has to answer the question, why? Why are, we, why are we teaching our kids what we're teaching this year? What's the big questions that they're grappling with? The inspiring questions, the questions that come from them, that matter to them. It has to be question and inquiry driven if it's going to get to that level of what I would call like uh, the kind of high quality curriculum that our children deserve. There's no shortage of resources. There is no shortage of instructional materials that can be unboxed you know, and ordered and given to teachers to like teach, but that is falling short of what a, what a true, authentic, culturally responsive curriculum could be for this city. I think the city has a responsibility 
of leadership on this and of stewardship on this. And they shouldn't be going for these like these quick statements that is declaring already like, oh, we have this curriculum and we're putting these books in. It's like, if you're as good at your job as I think some of the folks in leadership positions are, and I have a lot of respect for some of the folks in the highest positions, like, you know, curriculum is more complex than this. So like, so, so step up and have, like have the bigger conversation as a city. That's what I keep calling curricular leadership. Like have that level of conversation with the public and engage others in a series of campaigns on it. But I, you know, what I suspect, unfortunately, this period of time is like a lot of it is just getting, it's getting bottlenecked in, you know, in a, in a sunsetting mayoral administration, who's just trying to survive the half opening of schools face to face before a term is up. Curriculum is bigger than this. And our parents, our families, our children, our teachers, they, they deserve to have dialogue about the complexity of it. And they deserve to be like authentically engaged and inspired by what it means to create real curriculum. And again, I think that's exactly right. And you always set up these beautiful segues to the next section of like, so what do you do as a parent and how do you figure it out? You start to ask the questions and then you start to figure out ways that you can get engaged or you can participate in the conversations. So just to take one quick step back, we will make sure that we drop the links for the We Teach NYC landing page and also the NYC instructional priorities. And Debbie, I see your question in the chat. I'm going to say this out loud for us in one second. But Tom, what you've described is this thing that is much bigger than what we can contain in a 30-minute podcast. So we know at Inside Schools that we are going to plan a series, I think, of conversations around curriculum to really try to break it down and demystify. We will tackle what is culturally responsive sustaining education in NYC, and we will tackle like the roles that principals play in choosing and adopting textbooks and how those processes play out. So as an FYI, I guess we're dropping some new news. We will have some events that are sparked by the, the start of this conversation. And I think one of those things Debbie highlighted in the chat. Do you think there's a difference in teaching skills versus teaching content? Uh, uh, yeah, but I think that that's another one of those nuances that will definitely want to start to peel back in some of our subsequent conversations. So I want to pivot us to our section on takeaways and things to try for parents. And as, as Tom said, I think first things first, take some time as a parent to reflect about what curriculum means to you. Right, you, I've given you the textbook definition. Tom has kind of elaborated on that and broken that down. We've spoken through our, our different experiences about what curriculum could entail. And we've also alluded to this landing page that has a bazillion different publishing companies on it. So I think for you, step one as a parent is to really think through like, well, what does it mean for me in terms of what my child will receive over a course of time and why my child is being exposed to those varieties of things or materials. Um, we also have some concrete questions to ask your school. This is like a little bit of a trick question. So pardon me for being a little snippy here. The first question is, hey, what's curriculum night? And here's the thing, not all schools have curriculum nights. Some schools have back to school nights, schools have parent teacher conferences, but there's actually not a mandate that every school has a curriculum night. So I've intentionally phrased the question in that way to give you some room to start to have that conversation. Like, well, there's no curriculum night. 
when's the day that I get to learn all the things that you guys are going to use to teach my scholar? First things first, I think that's a really powerhouse of a question. When is curriculum night to see how your um, school administration will follow up? Once you start getting some traction there, another question that we suggest that you can immediately deploy is, hey, where's the book list? A lot of the high schools actually use syllabi, which is fun. So can I have a copy of my kid's syllabi? Actually, in many cases, parents are asked to sign off on the syllabi. So you can ask, what are we reading this semester? This is exciting. I want to see, I want to know what materials are we going to use and really start to let folks know that you are there to hear what materials have been put in place and what already exists. Tom, you have anything to share along those two lines? Of I think questions? those are great suggestions. I think I would just, it, for me, it just, it also comes back to looking for the why and for families, I think, and students expecting that there's a why, a clear why behind what, what we're asking kids to do in schools and teachers to do in schools at any time. So even, even when, you know, when my child comes home, I might ask like, you know, what did you learn today? Right, maybe sometimes even how, but like what I'm really interested to do is like, oh, well, why do you think you're learning that? Like, why do you think that's important to learn? And it's, it's by asking that why question that I, for me, like we, we, get, we get out of the weeds of the what we're learning and the how we're learning, and we get to the, the bigger constellation stuff. We get to the, the, more, the more important question, especially if we're talking about, you know, creating a citywide curriculum that's meant to address issues of systemic racism and educational inequity. And we got to be talking about why. If not, it's the status quo in a new form. That's exactly right. And we, we just missed Trina, but Trina, I'm gonna go ahead and give you a shout out and say thank you so much for joining us and spending some time with us. Our final kind of takeaway and resource was to, and I'm sure you've heard this one before, take an inventory of, of your at-home library and, and what materials you have going on in the house. Gurjo, I hope I said your name close to correctly, but you elevated this notion of science projects, right? Like what things do you even have in the house that kids can get into and play around with and see what happens, right? What happens to this cup of water if we put three tablespoons of salt in it or eight tablespoons of salt in it, right? So right there, curriculum materials, a cup, some water, some salt, right? Then what happens if we put oil in it and shake it up? So I think taking a stake of what you have going on in the house, what what things your, your students are allowed to play with and explore, and then being intentional of, about that. If you getting back to that why, if you know that you want your children to explore a particular thing or a particular area or a particular people, how can you equip your space with access to those resources? And don't forget that there are libraries out there that are open that you can mask up and go to. Um, we have an amazing kind of library system in New York City. So we always encourage you to take advantage of that. I think that that's about it for this episode, but just know that our engagement does not have to stop here. As always, you can visit us at insideschools.org for independent reviews of the city schools and sign up for our weekly newsletter. You'll also find us pretty active on our Facebook page, Twitter, and our WhatsApp group for Spanish-speaking families. And now you can leave us a voicemail question via our podcast homepage. Finally, please consider subscribing to our podcast. So just in case you miss these little tidbits and review of the news, you can get yourself caught up. As always, stay safe out there, my friends. Until next time, have a great week.